Our scripture reading today comes from uh, two chapters of the book of Acts, chapters 4 and chapter 5. Acts 4, verses 32 through 35, the believers share the possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostle continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who had land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need." From chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, the apostles heal many. The apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used, used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Well, today we continue in our series that is rooted in the biblical book of Acts, the story, the testimony of the early church. It takes us back to the roots of the church. What is the church really about? When you you take away culture and and the, the, in a sense, the trappings of, of 21st century life, What is the church all about? What has the church always been about? Or what is the church, what has the church always been about in a way that the church should have been and perhaps was not always faithful to? That's what the book of Acts shows us. It gets us back to the root, what the church is meant to be and to do. And we are following in this sermon series. Five essential practices that we see the early church engaging in right from the beginning. Once they received the powerful Holy Spirit among them, given to them by Jesus, what did they do? Last week, we talked about proclamation. They named the name of Jesus. They told the story of Jesus as Savior, that Jesus was risen, and that through Jesus, we might have forgiveness and eternal life. And the church has kept on speaking that word. And we can do that today and into our future as a church. Well, the second essential that we're focusing on today is service. Serving others. Jesus gave that great commission. 
and it gave us an astounding itinerary. And what we need to pack moving forward includes proclamation, but it also includes service. Diakonia in the Greek. Diakonia means to serve. It's related to uh, another word in Greek called diakonos, which is the word for servant. Now, in the original kind of secular Greek of the day, and, and this is the, the Greek of, of Greek philosophy that kind of set the tone for Western culture, diakonia originally meant those who wait on tables. So, a diakonos was one who was a waiter. A, a camarero or mesero. A someone who, who served those who ate at tables in homes or in the community. Now, in the Greek-speaking world, in the Hellenized world, servants and those who served tables were not highly prized or appreciated. Their status was very low. In that Greek world, you, you were not lauded for being a servant of others. You were lauded for being a master of others. Think about how that stream of thought has entered into Western culture and how that is still a part of the water that we swim in every single day. Wanting to, <clears throat> that like the greatest people are those who have the greatest influence. The ones who have more people serving their needs are the greatest among us. Now, Judaism had a much higher respect for servants. But in the first century, it had become distorted by pharisaical conditions or rules that boil down to more of a selective serving. But Jesus came and elevated diakonia to the heights that it had never seen before. In Mark 9.35, Jesus says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant, diakonos, of all. In Mark 10.45, Jesus spoke of his very mission. And defined himself as a servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, diakonia, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we look into the book of Acts, we see the early church continuing this servant mission of Jesus. And we see it in two major ways. The first is through the application of healing mercy. And the second is through generous giving. Let's take a look at the healing ministry of the early church. It is a direct continuation of Jesus' healing ministry. Peter, we see in those first chapters of Acts, and the other apostles are performing miraculous healings by Jesus' own power through the Holy Spirit. The same way that Jesus, when he walked the earth before his ascension, 
Jesus touched people and healed them. Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry and ministered to the afflicted. And he showed his disciples how. That's what being a disciple of Jesus really was, is you went to school with Jesus and it was an internship where every day you were doing field education. And you were learning what it meant to to heal others, what it meant to draw near to others in compassion, maybe others who, have, who had been um, <clears throat> kind of ignored by society and how to love them in practical ways. And Jesus gave them feedback and he sent them out again and again and again. And now here in the power of the Spirit, they move forward and more people are added to their number and everyone who comes to be part of this early church movement gets in on the action. They bring people who are sick to where they can receive healing. And merciful ministries of healing become the church's calling card. And in a very significant respect, this has been true of the church throughout its history. Merciful ministries of healing have been at the core of what the church is all about. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And then, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick, and not just physically sick, those tormented by impure spirits. Think about emotional and spiritual torment that we can experience in life. And the bottom line here, the conclusion is, these people were healed. Now this text represents many instances recorded in the book of Acts and throughout the epistles in the New Testament of people in the context of the church being healed of their physical sickness or of their spiritual or emotional torment. Well, we're on a journey as a congregation, and so we're, we're taking this theme or this image of being on a journey and packing luggage for this journey. As we take a look at the healing mercy aspect of serving in the church, I want to call your attention to something that those of us who have traveled know about fairly well, and, that, and those are vacation photos. Now, do you remember when you took photos on film, and you had to wait till you got back home from your trip, and then you took them to be developed, either into slides or to prints, and then when you received them, you got to show them. Maybe you put them in a photo album, and when maybe friends came over, you'd sit in your living room, and you'd, you'd thumb through the photo album. These are my photos from my trip to fill in the blank. You might have, if you were really into multimedia, how many of you owned a slide projector? Anyone own a slide projector? All right, all right, I see you out there. Um, so you, you got some of your photos developed as slides, and you actually set it up and, 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 and did a multimedia projection experience where people could feel like they were there. And this was even before the computer, household computer was, was there. It's amazing. 
Well, when we share our photographs, which now we tend to do through social media, some of us do that live as we travel through social media. Uh, some of us just have them on our phone, and, and we might be talking with someone and saying, hey, would you like to see some photos? Or I'd like to see some photos of your trip. When we review our photos that we have seen, uh, that we have taken on our travels, it brings us right back to being there, doesn't it? It takes us right back to that moment that we experienced, maybe the people that we met, what we were doing on that very day. Now, for some of us who, are, who receive that sharing, we weren't there. But seeing those photographs can take us almost to be right alongside you when you were there. Have you experienced that? When someone brought back and showed you their vacation photographs, you almost felt like you were there. When I think about places in the world, there are some places in the world where I feel like I've been there because I've seen a friend's photographs from traveling there. Well, in the Christian life, we have so many travel photographs of scenes of serving with healing mercy. When I look at this congregation and the years that I have served here, more than 20, I almost am overwhelmed by how many travel photographs of healing mercy that come through my mind. It's amazing. A few years ago, uh, Denise Easter and Diana Kuntz, who are our parish associates, helped us to discover, and at least the leaders of our church, to discern what our special gift as a congregation was. The way they described it was it's a charism. In, in Greek, uh, charism means gift. And, and so it's a spiritual gift that, that a congregation might have kind of a unique strength. And the gift that they discerned, and that I thought was very accurate from my vantage point as a pastor, was mercy. I remember years ago when we had most members of the congregation go through a spiritual gifts class that we called Network. Far and away, the number one spiritual gift among members of this church was the gift of mercy. Mercy, compassion. It's a gift the Spirit gives to Christians to accomplish the serving ministry of Christ in the world today. Now, there's two dimensions of this gift. And so, scrolling through these photos in North Creek's travel history, you'll come to some photos of healing prayer and encouragement of those who are suffering physically or emotionally. You will come to a, scenes of a group of people who start a prayer chain in this church that involves hundreds of people who at a moment's notice, when that prayer chain gets that information where healing prayer is needed, that hundreds of people in our church that, that morphs into thousands of people through our social networks, we are praying for healing. And we have seen healing happen as a result of those prayers. Amen? For years, we had a monthly healing service. North Creek was known for having a healing service where if you were sick, 
If you were suffering, come to the church and you would be prayed over and people's hands would be placed on your shoulder and we'd pray for you. And we saw healings on a number of levels. We've done that in worship and we will continue to have healing prayer stations occasionally in worship. There are formal ministries. We'll see snapshots of deacons. I gotta tell you, I am really pumped up about our deacons right now. There is a real deacon renaissance going on at North Creek Presbyterian Church. Now, deacon and diakonos has a very close relationship because one word is based on the other. Deacons are those who are called to a specific ministry of service, of diakonia. And then there are those many who assist the deacons in all of the work that they do in visiting, in, in uh, preparing meals for those who need it. This church, throughout its history, you will find, as you look through all those travel photos, you'll see photographs of Stephen Ministry. You'll, you'll see literally hundreds of people who went through a 50-hour training program to be one-on-one Christian caregivers. Not only do that training, but then do the one-on-one caregiving where it's all confidential, and so none of the praise goes to them. It's the unique thing about Stephen Ministry. We never get Stephen Ministry people up and say, tell a testimony of that confidential time that you helped this person through that difficult point in life. And yet the faithfulness, the snapshots of the people who have served and have been served through that is foundational. This afternoon, we have a memorial service, and the memorial team that helps put this on is a tremendous carrier of of healing mercy to apply to people in need. And that extends to pastoral care and visitation. You know, there's there's a lot that goes into a church having a pastor. I just recently was in a conversation uh, with someone who currently is a pastor of a church, but, but that church no longer can afford to employ a pastor. And, and so it's, it's, it shouldn't be taken for granted that, that the giving of the church to support a pastor who's called to a ministry that includes pastoral care, it's something that we all have a part in. But those photos would also show people gathering together to meet particular needs that are about the wider sense of healing, the wider sense of wholeness that God intends. You'll see people gathering to feed the hungry through a food bank, through dinner at the creek, through Operation Night Watch. You'll see people who are committed to housing people who are homeless or at risk of being homeless. Our current good neighbor team, uh, people who are settled a refugee family, people who built homes for those who lost theirs in devastating fires. You'll see people assisting students and families and teachers at local elementary schools who serve a large number of families who are in material poverty. You'll see people caring for the disabled and giving them dignity through a partnership with Eagle Wings and just recently, the Pirate Bash. You'll see people visiting those in prison in response to Jesus' call to do the same by leading a worship service at Twin Rivers in Monroe and supporting families through Matthew House. I could just go on and on and on, but I know there's a kind of a time limit, an unspoken uh, contract between me and you that you'll get out of here before noon. Can I hear an amen? There you go. <laughs> we could keep on going. And you know, you... here's the thing. In your reflections, in your travel journal, have fun. 
Have fun thinking back to the shining moments where you saw and experienced this congregation bringing healing mercy to a hurting world. Now, the other aspect that we see in the book of Acts to the concept of serving, diakonia, is generous giving. And here we're talking about giving of money. And I'm going to read two scriptures and actually just tell you that between these two scriptures, or after these two scriptures, there's a, there's a very significant story in the book of Acts that you can read on your own. We didn't read it today. But they all have to do with sacrificial giving to meet other people's needs. And that that was a characteristic of the church from the very beginning. And it's not, it's not a surprise, is it? The early church was continuing the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember Jesus teaching in the Gospel of Luke of the Good Samaritan? Yeah, yeah. We mo- most of us know that story of the Good Samaritan. So the Samaritan found someone, basically an assault victim, lying beat up by the side of the road. And the Samaritan was the one who, who loved him as a neighbor, and who bandaged up his wounds and had compassion on him. The part of the story that sometimes we forget is that the good Samaritan then took him to an inn, which was as, about as good as a hospital in those days, um, took him to an inn, laid down the equivalent of two days' wages, and then promised the innkeeper that if, that, if the expenses of caring for this man went above that, that he'd reimburse him. That's part of the story. The serving with compassion and healing mercy always goes along with giving financially to meet those needs. By the way, if you're curious about what two days' wages is for us, if you work full-time at a minimum wage job, that would be $240. If you uh, earn the median uh, salary in the city of Seattle, that would be $840. Let's look at how the early church served by giving. These are these texts from the book of Acts. All the believers were in one heart and one mind in Acts 4, 32. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work among them, and this is how we know that God's powerful power was at work. There were no needy persons among them. That wasn't because they went around and selected people of a certain income. It was because when people with financial need came to them, that they raised them. They added water so that their boats would be floated up. No one had need. That's how we know that Jesus' power was at work in the early church, according to Luke in Acts. For from time to time, so Luke tells us, what did people do? What did this sacrifice look like? From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and that money was distributed to those who were in need. So those who had wealth, something that they didn't necessarily need, they sold that and gave the proceeds to those who did need it. 
through the, the administration of the leaders of the church. And then our, our core text from Acts chapter 2, uh, it also says this. All the believers were together in verse 44 of chapter 2 and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Repeated twice, just in case we might want to skip over this part. And then there's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I'll let you read that on your own. Now, holding all things in common is probably a way of describing everyone's willingness to share from their bounty or from what God has given them with those who didn't have as much as they did. Distributing to those in need gave those people who were in need their own resources to steward because they might be called upon to give to someone and the gift would go on. What's clear in this text is that the willingness to give of one's wealth to meet others' needs was phenomenal. And it spread like wildfire and it spread throughout the whole known world through the church And it hasn't stopped amazing people ever since. As the church expanded, you start seeing cash-strapped Corinthians giving sacrificially over and above what Paul thinks they can even afford to support poor believers in Jerusalem. And so as the church expands across the globe, funding global mission becomes a vital aspect of serving in the church. And the result is this, Jesus, through the church, has massive piles of money at his disposal to meet people's needs. And you know where it is? It's in the bank. It's in our banks. It's under our names. And Jesus entrusts those gifts to us and calls us and equips us to be good stewards, to consider the needs that we have that God is providing for through those resources, and yet also to be swept up in the joy and the exhilaration of using those gifts to make a world of difference. This is the big number of the financial resources of a congregation. It's not the budget. It isn't even just the, the, the tally of all of our pledges, even if all of us tithe 10%. No, the big number is all of our net worth. That is this congregation's big number. And that's Jesus' big number, to meet needs. Our participation is invited. No matter what the amount that we give, we're all called by Jesus and privileged to be investors in this serving work. Our travel photos looking at at North Creek's journey so far would show generous giving and a legacy of mission support through our tithes and offerings but also pictures, snapshots of generous outpouring in emergency response offerings. I remember when there was a fire that torched the the church building of our sister church in St. Petersburg, Russia. 
And we had a special offering here that just blew our minds, the generosity. I remember when the devastating earthquake happened in Haiti in 2010 and how our church responded. I remember just earlier this year when the Ukrainian war began and and refugee relief came to the fore and we had an offering and this congregation gave youth mission fundraisers through the years have been generously supported, including, and I have to say this, missionaries have been sent from this congregation who have gathered a significant amount of their support over and above, outside of the financial balance sheet of this congregation to give directly to those missionaries to support their work in the world. You know, the moments on the journey of being the church the moments of serving and giving sacrificially to, so that others' well-being will be provided for, those are the memories that we remember. You know, there are those who, who chart uh, happiness and how our income and our wealth affect our happiness. One of the first lessons that they tell is that, is that as human beings, experiences make us more happy than, than material goods. So rather than buying a, a, a nice car or that nicer car than we have, we'd be better off spending that money on maybe an outing or a vacation with our family or our loved ones. But I think we can go further than that in the church, that, that it, it goes even further. When you know that the work of God in the world is continuing in a powerful way to meet people's needs, and you've had a part in that, at the very end... That is what's most meaningful of all. And like the early church believers who sold their real estate assets, when we give significantly from our wealth, yeah, our net worth goes down. But it's not lost. Because we also are investors in the kingdom of God. And that's what that is. It's a transfer of funds to God's kingdom. And the return rate on that investment is out of this world. Well, we're going to put it all together in a scene. So we've talked about two things so far in the sermon series. We've talked about proclamation, kerygma, sharing the gospel of Jesus. We've talked about about diakonia, serving others' needs. For years, um, I'd say probably close to probably 15 years, year in, year out, after North Creek Presbyterian Church built this particular facility that we're in right now. On a regular basis, our kitchen was buzzing. Just kind of full time. And the kitchen connection here at the corner of Kerygma and Diakinia included the Alpha Course. Now, the Alpha Course was a course that was designed to share with people about Jesus. It was kerygma. It was evangelism. And that course required fellowship around a meal. And we did that three times a year, every quarter, fall, winter, spring. Ten straight weeks. That meant ten meals, and then another ten meals, and then another ten meals, and that's your year. And we did that for more than a decade. And so proclamation was happening 
fueled by our kitchen. But then another thing happened as well. I think I remember it happened on the last Thursday of every month. And that was called Dinner at the Creek. And so month in, month out, without fail, a meal was lovingly prepared to any and all who had the need for a meal, for food, or for Christian fellowship, who came to our fellowship hall, and not only was the meal shared, but relationships were shared around that table. Community, and that's coming up in a few weeks. Dinner at the Creek served that to the community, many materially poor, some who were homeless. That's a snapshot of the kitchen connection. There is something powerful about serving, the connection between serving and table service. It's in the definition of the word itself. You can also see it in one of, in my opinion, one of the great uh, pieces of art in the history of the world. And that is Van Gogh's classic, Cafe Terrace at night. You're seeing on the screen a little snippet of this. Uh, it's, a, it's focusing in on actually the cafe terrace. Uh, the rest of the, the picture, if you go uh, north of there, is the night. Uh, it's at night. There's a little bit of a starry night, as some of you are well aware that Van Gogh loved to paint. What you see here is you see a waiter at a cafe. I want to share a story of... Um, Something that happened at our dinner table a few years ago. It actually was quite a few years ago. Uh, because my youngest daughter, Katie, was, was very young. And we have this, this uh, piece of art in our kitchen right by our, our dining table. And at some point, I don't know what led to it, but, but Katie, when she was very, very young, uh, probably just a toddler, looked up, pointed, and said, Jesus. And we said, What? Jesus. What she meant was that waiter, that server in that cafe, she was saying, that's Jesus. Do you remember what we talked about in the children's message about stoles? Do you remember how Jesus was the host at the table of, with his disciples at the Last Supper? Do you remember how he also took a towel and washed his disciples' feet and showed us how to serve others? There's something powerful. She, actually, I learned that she's not the only one who sees in this painting an image of Jesus, the servant, the diaconos, the one who came to serve and not to be served. And let this remind us of the early church witness in which the disciples served in the power of the Spirit, responsive to Christ's serving presence among them, supported by the Father's provision of resources. How have you served? How did your family serve? How did it feel to serve? How will you serve in the road ahead? One thing we know for sure, wherever God leads, it will be a heart operation, fueled by healing mercy and generous giving. Ready, set, serve. Amen.